When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. George Floyd's last words, but they didn't die with him. They're still being heard echoing all across this nation. It's a wake-up call to our nation, in my view. It's for all of us. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. Dramatically different messages from presidential candidate Joe Biden and his opponent, the incumbent, President Donald Trump, as protests over the killing of George Floyd continue. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Police and troops in riot gear clearing protesters outside the White House began another night of unrest in America with violence in cities from New York to Los Angeles. Just minutes later, President Trump gave a speech in the Rose Garden at the White House promising to, quote, dominate the streets. But his message was in sharp contrast to the family of George Floyd, who pleaded for calm while speaking yesterday in Minneapolis. We'll hear much more about the stirring remarks from George Floyd's family with CNN's Sarah Seidner in just a few moments. But first, joining me now to discuss the president's actions last night, our White House reporter, Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. In the Trump presidency, Caitlin, we have to sort of learn time and again not to be surprised, right? But sometimes it's hard not to be surprised. Last night was one of those examples. Can you just first set the scene for us a little bit? There were protesters, many of whom I believe were peacefully demonstrating in the park, Lafayette Park, outside the White House. And the president's about to speak what happens next? Yeah, David, I feel like every time we talk, we're like, what just happened? And we're like reliving something <laughs> like that seems so surreal. And then, of course, something tops that. But yes, so we have been broadcasting during the age of coronavirus from this rooftop near the White House. We swap out between there and our location at the White House. So yesterday we had this really good view of everything that was happening. You're overlooking Lafayette Square. You could see the White House. We could see the protesters. You know, I walked alongside them as I was going into work. And they had been up there for several hours. They had been filtering in and out, ebbing and flowing, and largely peaceful, lots of chants of George Floyd's name, of Black Lives Matter, but really a peaceful protest. Just a lot of shouting and standing at the barriers and a lot of signs, but exactly what you would expect to see from a typical protest. And then we were watching over the roof at around 6.30, because we heard this loudspeaker come over and say, this is the park police, you have a few minutes to get out, we're clearing the street. The street had already been blocked off to traffic. Moments later, the second warning came. Then minutes later, the third warning came. Was this part of the DC curfew that they were saying that? They did not cite the curfew. So at 6.30, when this first 
announcement happened, we heard them and they said, it's for your safety. And that was the explanation. I didn't hear anything about a curfew. And there are local reports that a lot of the protesters actually didn't even hear the warnings because it was so loud where they were and with the chanting and the shouting. Unbelievable. So what happened next? You saw tear gas go off or what did you what did you next see? So these officers had been standing in rows in Lafayette Square. The protesters are behind barriers, but there are officers on either side of them blocking the streets. So then you start to see the ones in front of them, the officers come forward and they're face to face with the protesters at this point. And we were like, wow, you know, they've been several yards back before. Now they're face to face with them. And then they issued that third warning. And to the left, you see these officers come in on foot with shields and batons. And then behind them is another row of officers who are mounted on horseback. They're all coming in. And then you start to see the ones on foot start rushing these protesters, running toward them. And then, of course, some of the protesters naturally start running away. Some who stood their ground, then, you know, they pushed at them with their shields. We saw smoke coming up to the balcony where we were standing over this hotel watching all of this. And to where, you know, we were even coughing from the smoke and we're 10 floors up. And so there was a lot of smoke on the ground. They started deploying flashbangs, you know, where it goes off into the middle and then it's really loud and scatters everyone is the effect that the cops are hoping it has. And we just start to, we started to see that in progression where they just kept slowly moving in and moving in and moving in and pushing these protesters down the street and out of in front of the White House. Is this while the president is speaking? No. So he hasn't started speaking yet. This is all in advance of it. You're waiting for the president to emerge. Yes. They updated the schedule at the White House and said he'd speak at 6.15. That was around 6.05 we got that. Then he tweeted 6.30. It's right around like 6.25, 6.30 that these warnings start coming in and they start clearing these protesters. And the president hasn't come out to the Rose Garden just yet. But once they had successfully gotten them a little past 15th Street, 16th Street, where they had been standing, then the president comes out and that's when he starts speaking. And strikingly, one of the first things he said was, I am an ally of peaceful protesters. He also talked about, as you heard at the beginning of the podcast, this, I don't know, I would have to call it a threat to deploy the United States military. He cited some law about this. Tell us what the president was trying to accomplish in his remarks last night. I think what he was trying to accomplish was that this frustration we had heard from a call he had with governors earlier in the day, which is that governors weren't doing enough to crack down on protesters and protests that were turning violent. And he said in the Rose Garden that if the governors didn't take care of it, he would. And by that, he said he meant sending in the military. And of course, the military does not go out and do law enforcement in the streets of the United States of America unless they're told to by the president. So he would have to use that authority to get them to do that. And he had been frustrated that these governors had not been using the National Guard more. You heard him complaining about that, the defense secretary complaining about that. And so he was threatening that he would come in and use the military if the governors did not take stronger action to quell these protests that are happening across the nation. And then he ends his remarks, Caitlin, by saying this. Thank you very much. And now I'm going to pay my respects to a very, very special place. Thank you very much. He then leaves the White House grounds to go where? So he says, I'm going to a very special place. And of course, the night before, if you'd been watching the coverage, the basement of St. John's Church, this historic yellow church across 
from the White House where every president since James Madison has gone to a service and the president himself has gone there on a few occasions has worshiped. And the basement caught on fire during the protests and the riots the night before. And then we see the president walk out of the front door of the White House, something if you cover this White House, he rarely does. He's maybe done it a handful of times. Secret Service does not like for him to walk out of the front door. He and this huge security detail and a ton of aides walk out of the front door of the White House and make their way across Lafayette Square, another rare step for the president, and walk to the side of St. John's Church. But he doesn't go inside. He doesn't go tour any of the damage. He stands outside. He doesn't pray or have any moment of silence, but he does hold a Bible up and he takes pictures with it before inviting several of his aides up to also take pictures with him. Yeah, Joe Biden made note of that moment when he spoke today in Philadelphia. He said he brandished the Bible, but he rarely opens it. This is not a president that we have seen go to a lot of church services in in his time in office, right? Right. He rarely goes to church. He does the usual Christmas, Easter services like that. He has been to St. John's a few times. He went on the National Day of Prayer last year. But he's not a president who often goes to church. And of course, so many things have been said about his relationship with evangelicals, which, you know, he relied on a lot in 2016 to get elected. But it raised so many questions of people questioning, you know, his role in faith compared to someone like the vice president. And of course, you know, there are infamous moments like when the president quoted two Corinthians from the Bible once. Things like that that have made people question, you know, how solid his relationship is with these voters. But the president definitely knows a way to appeal to them. You saw that when he declared churches and places of worship an essential service during the coronavirus pandemic because he wanted them to be reopened. Caitlin, just your overall sense, you cover this president day in, day out. It was a spectacle last night. There is no doubt that the president understands how to command attention and and create a photo op. What did you make of the whole picture he presented last night? I think it was so clear that the president was under intense pressure over the last few days to say something because he did address George Floyd's death in Orlando or at the Kennedy Space Center outside Orlando on Saturday. But he had not had a moment dedicated solely to what we are seeing that is gripping the nation. And he took that moment and he had been hearing this criticism from political advisors that if he did not come out and condemn the riots that are happening across the United States, that he was going to lose middle-of-the-road voters who were horrified by watching what's happening on television. The question, though, of course, is he's president, and did he strike the right tone to unify the country? And from where we were, watching these peaceful protesters who were not engaging in acts of violence, they were not setting fires, they were not throwing things at the police from what we could see, they were not looting, peaceful protesters you know, using their First Amendment rights to be pushed out of the park, cleared out with flashbangs, with smoke, with men on horses was really stunning. And then to see the president come through to take these pictures in front of this church where he stood for a matter of minutes was really one of the most striking parts of his presidency. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. And when we come back, we'll be joined by CNN correspondent Sarah Seidner.
And we're back with CNN correspondent Sarah Seidner, who's joining us from Minneapolis to discuss the remarkable events that occurred there yesterday. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. I'm happy to be here. Sarah, I want you to take a listen, I know you were there, to George Floyd's brother speaking at the memorial and urging nonviolence in response to what occurred to his brother. I understand y'all upset. If I'm not over here messing up my community, come on. Then what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? Y'all doing nothing. Because that's not going to bring my brother back at all. What was it like, this remarkable moment, when everyone gathered there were taking in his words, but also sharing in a prayerful, silent moment with him? Incredible. It made every hair on the back of my neck and on my arm stand up. It was one of those moments that felt almost beyond prayerful. It was an incredibly touching moment where there had been so much anger stirred in the air, so much frustration, uh, so many explosions of rage that I had been seeing and that people had been experiencing. And in that moment, everything changed. All of that anger, all of that rage, all of that frustration got channeled into a heartfelt ideal. And he made very clear that there is a path, that it doesn't have to be this. He said, stop it. You cannot use this family. Do not do this in our name. He said, we are a peaceful family and we are a God-fearing family. And if you want to do something, if you want to channel your rage, they're angry, they're filled with sorrow too, then vote, vote. And he made really clear that it wasn't just about voting for the big presidential election, the one that most people will come out for. It was about taking ownership of your community. Ownership, not destruction, ownership. And voting in local elections, city council elections, county commission elections. What about the chants that you heard about the saying of George Floyd's name? Say his name is something that has become sort of a powerful movement in and of itself, sort of within this larger movement. What was the purpose of that chant that you heard from the crowd? So Say His Name has been with us for quite some time because of Michael Brown. I could list more than a dozen names. They have come to symbolize the brutality that black people face in America. And so saying someone's name makes sure that you remember what happened and you remember and honor that person because far too often the name that you remember is the one that is brutalizing, the one that if they ever do go to trial, that goes to trial, the one that did the hurt. That's the name that always seems to stick with us. And this is a change in that. Remember the person who was the victim in this, who was the oppressed in this. And there is a beautiful mural that's been made out of chalk on the street where George Floyd was killed. And it has every name. And I walked down that mural and it's so distressing because there are so many names listed. 
George Floyd's at the top of that list right now because the world is watching. And George Floyd's family, Terrence Floyd, his brother said, if you want to do something, say his name. Don't let the world forget his name. Sarah, what was it like in Minneapolis last night? Are the protesters that you've seen there starting last Thursday or what have you, are they heeding Terrence Floyd's call? I will tell you that three things I feel like has changed the tone and tenor of what's happened. The first is that people have been out and raging for many days now. And eventually that rage cannot sustain itself. Secondly, the police chief and the conversation we were able to have with him and the family, the Floyd family on television, and what the police chief did by taking off his cap each time he heard that the Floyd family was speaking through me to him, he would take off his cap and show the respect to that family. That lowered the temperature. To see the police chief come out and kneel and pray where this man, where his officer is accused of killing a citizen, I've never seen that happen, and neither had anyone else there. And I heard people saying to him, thank you, you have changed my mind about how y'all, quote, the police, feel about us. And thirdly, the powerful heartfelt words from Terrence Floyd when he said, you are not gonna do this in our name. George Floyd would have hated to see what happened in this community. Do not do this in our name. Those three things have completely lowered the temperature here. The sorrow's still there, but the anger and frustration, yes, it's still there, but it is not exploding out in a destructive way. Now it's time for people to try and feel and find a constructive way to deal with their rage. You have covered so many protests. Is your sense that the lower temperature is here to stay uh, because of the leadership, both from the family, the police chief that you describe, or is it a tinderbox that can explode again? There is always a chance of another explosion of anger and rage when the police brutalize black people. And the reason why that is there is that this is not a new people sometimes forget they forget what has happened in this country they forget it was long before the 60s that there had been these issues people forget so is there a chance that it will reappear and explode absolutely in fact i would predict a hundred percent chance that it could explode again in maybe another city somewhere else or another small town depending on what happens the only thing that is going to keep the explosion from happening is a change in the way that black people are treated in this country and specifically the way they are treated and policed in this country. Sarah Seidner in Minneapolis for us. Thank you so much for your insights, your reporting. Thank you, David. You are wonderful and I love listening to the podcast. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, 
please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.